Today on The Journey. Have you offered your whole self as a living sacrifice? Have you offered every area of your life to His Lordship? As you think about all the details of your life, is there any area you're holding back? You're willing to do whatever He wants you to do. Like Isaac, obediently waiting for death on a makeshift altar, we are to offer our own lives to God, not for death, but as living sacrifices. What that truly means, how it's done, and what it produces is Ron Moore's topic in this half hour. Plus, after the message, I'll let you know about Ron's devotional booklet titled Garments of Grace. In it, you'll discover eight items of spiritual clothing God wants every believer to wear. Garments of Grace is available as a digital download for a donation of any amount at ronmoore.org. Your gift today will help further this ministry of developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now here's Ron with the message, Grace of Commitment on the Journey. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 12. And we're going to look today at verses 1 and 2, what I've called the grace of commitment. What we're going to do today is to go through these two verses. Some of you memorized these verses early on in your Christian walk. They may have been two of the first verses you memorized. You have read them before. And what I want to do is to go through these verses, just explain what they mean, and then draw some application regarding them. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and pleasing and perfect will. Now, Paul begins this portion of his letter with a special appeal. He says, I urge you. Paul is not asking for a favor. And he's not saying, you know, Romans, I need you to do something when you get around to it, when you have time for it. Paul is putting forth an authoritative summons to a life of dedication. First summons is this. Put your entire being at God's disposal. Not some of it. Not parts of it. But offer your whole life to the living God. Look at verse 1. Therefore, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. The word offer, or some of you may have in your translation, present, means to dedicate. It means to yield. It means to put something at someone's disposal. In this case, we are putting ourselves at God's disposal. And what is it that we are to put at God's disposal? Well, Paul says again in verse 1, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The word body there not only represents the flesh and blood, but Paul uses this word to describe the totality of our life and activity. Our body is an expression of our whole self. Through our bodies we speak, we act, we live, we convey our values and our passions. And Paul says we are to put our whole self at God's disposal. We are to commit our whole self to Him. Paul says we are to offer our bodies as a sacrifice. And when Paul used that word sacrifice to these readers and to us today, we would go back to the Old Testament 
And we would think of the Old Testament worshipers who would bring animal sacrifices to the altar. And the Old Testament worshiper would kill the sacrifice, whether it was a bull or a goat or a lamb, and they would put it on the altar, and that animal would be at God's disposal. Usually, it would be consumed by fire at God's disposal. And so we, when we place ourselves at God's disposal, should have the same dedication, the same finality. But there's more. The Old Testament sacrifice was a dead sacrifice. Paul says you're to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, which denotes a perpetual sacrifice that is never used up. It continues to live, not dead and consumed, but continues to go on living. So let's think of it this way. In the Old Testament, the worshiper would bring their animal to the altar. The bull would be slain, put on the altar. Fire would come and consume the animal. It was over with one time. But Paul wants us to have another picture in mind. As living sacrifices, we in essence crawl on the altar before God. And as living sacrifices, we are not consumed, but we remain on the altar before God. We live our lives on this altar or this stage before God. Now, someone has once said that the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. And that's true, isn't it? We've experienced that in our lives. We've said, God, I want to live my life for you. I'm committed to you. I'm going to do exactly what you want me to do. And then we look around and, and we're not close to being committed to God. And so we have to crawl back on the altar. God, again, I'm at your disposal. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to dedicate myself to you again. And so to sum up what Paul is saying here, basically he's saying this, put yourself at God's disposal. This is to be a decisive commitment, continually reaffirmed. When we do that, look at the end of verse 1. Paul says this is your spiritual act of worship. When we present our bodies as a living sacrifice before God, we are performing an act of worship. We are honoring God. We are exalting God. We are lifting God up with our actions. We are deeming Him worthy of our lives, of our whole lives. We are saying it's not just worship to sing on Sunday morning with the congregation. Worship is involved in every area of my life, every detail of my life. I'm going to give it over to the living God. There's a second summons that Paul gives. It's in verse 2. Paul says, be transformed. Look at verse 2. Paul says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. You're not of this world. Don't be conformed to it, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect and pleasing will. Don't be shaped by the values and actions of the world or your culture, but be transformed. The word transform speaks of a deep internal change in our hearts that produces an outward change, an observable change. In fact, in the Greek, the word here is metamorphomai, where we get the word metamorphosis, a total change in our lives from the inside out. Now, what I want to do here is to make note of the grammar 
that's used with this word because it's very important. First, the word is in the passive voice. Be transformed, which means this is something I cannot do to myself. I cannot transform myself. Someone else has to do it or something else has to do it. It has to be done to me. Secondly, the word is in the imperative. Be transformed. I have to allow myself to be transformed. I have to allow for this to be done to me. And thirdly, the word is in the present tense, which denotes a continuing process. I have to continually allow myself to be transformed. I can't do it myself. Someone has to do it to me, and I have to be in the continual process of allowing that to happen. Now, let me ask a question. Who brings internal change that produces external results in the life of the believer? Holy Spirit, right? Paul says that we have been indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and it's the Holy Spirit that changes our life. Submit to the Spirit in your life every day in every aspect so that your thoughts and your tongue and your actions and your reactions are transformed. Now, another question would be, what's the best way to be transformed? Look at verse 2. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Got to be in the Word of God. This transforming action of the Holy Spirit is done by the renewing of our minds. And the renewing of our minds takes place when we read and study the Word of God. The Word of God is the chief instrument that the Holy Spirit uses for change in our life. So Paul says, be transformed by the Spirit by reading the Word of God. Now, one more thing before we get into some application, and I left this out as we went through verse 1, and it is the key to this passage. Let's go back to verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to do these things, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, to be transformed. And so the basis for Paul's instruction is God's mercy. To this point in his letter, Paul has spent 11 chapters talking about the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, based on God's grace. Now, give yourself wholly to God. Be transformed. And so there are two things I want us to notice about grace. First, grace is our motive to obey. In view of God's mercy, we place ourselves at God's disposal. It was Calvin who said, we will never worship God the way he intended us to worship him with true zeal until we properly understand how much we are indebted to his mercy. We are saved by grace. And as those who are saved by grace, that becomes our motive to live a life pleasing to him. Not only is it our motive, though, it is grace that enables us to live a life pleasing to God. Turn back to Romans chapter 6, where Paul explains this. Look at verse 11. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. 
In verse 13, he uses that same word, offer. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body, all of yourself, as instruments of righteousness. Verse 14, for sin shall not be your master. Why will sin not be your master? Because we're no longer under the law, working our way to God, but we are under grace. Sin no longer has to be master over us. We no longer have to give in to all the temptations. We no longer have to give in to sin in our life. It's no longer master over us because we are under grace. God has given us the freedom to obey. So grace becomes a motive for us, but it also becomes an enabler. Paul has given us two summons. Offer yourselves totally to God and continually be transformed. Our motive is grace and our enabler is grace. And when we do that, Paul says at the end of verse 2, Romans 12, then we're going to be able to test and approve what God's will is for our life, what he wants us to do. And his will is always good, it's always pleasing, it's always perfect. Now, Let's think through that application. And I'd like to use five questions to work through the application of this verse. First question is this. Have you put yourself at God's disposal? You've trusted in Christ. Paul is writing to Christians. You're a believer. Was there a point in your life where you said, God, I am yours? And you do with me whatever you want to do with me. I will sacrifice anything you want me to sacrifice. I will live any way you want me to live. I don't want to be conformed to the world around me. I want to be transformed. Have you offered your whole self as a living sacrifice? Have you offered every area of your life to His Lordship? Is there any area of your life you're holding back? You're willing to do whatever He wants you to do? Presenting our bodies as a living sacrifice impacts the way students approach their studies, impacts the way we do shopping and buying. It impacts the way we compete in games and athletics. It impacts even the way we drive on the streets. I'm not a patient driver. And Many times I have driven down the road and someone gets in front of me and they're going too slow or they cut in front of me and I used to lay on my horn or give them a dirty look or whatever. And as the church grew, I began to realize that some of the people I was giving dirty looks to <laughs> were you guys. And I said, yeah, this probably isn't going to work. So I tried to be more disciplined in that area. But do you see the fallacy of my thinking process? I was putting myself at your disposal and the community's disposal, not at God. Because if I honked at someone and they weren't in the church and I didn't feel bad about it, God still saw my reaction. He still saw the way I acted. So my thinking process was flawed because I was trying to please other people and not trying to just please God. 
When we put ourselves at God's disposal, we commit everything to Him alone. And then our interaction with other people falls in the place it should fall. Here's another question. Are you making specific commitments? And here's what I mean by that. All of us have areas of our life where we are very vulnerable to sin. I do and you do. And until we come to the point where we say, this is a sin that I'm extremely vulnerable to, I'm going to make some commitments here. And I'm going to share those commitments with maybe somebody else so they keep me accountable. James talks about the power of the tongue. It has the power to tear someone down or build someone up. You know, the power of words. Have we committed our words, our speech, to God? Colossians says, let your conversation be full of grace. Psalmist says, I have resolved that my mouth will not sin. Have we committed our words to God? Or do they just fly out of our mouth? First thing we think, we say, and we don't care who it hurts. Words to God. Secondly, our actions. How we act. How we react. Our actions do speak louder than our words. Internal change is demonstrated by outward actions. Christ said, by their fruits you will know them. You know an apple tree by its apples. You know a pear tree by its pears. And you know a Christian by their fruit. And if you're not producing fruit, something wrong with the tree. Have you committed your actions to God? What you watch, what you look at. The eye is the gatekeeper of the mind. As soon as you let it in the eye, it becomes a part of the thinking process, which becomes a part of the heart process, which is acted out if you don't deal with it. What you hear, certainly in the course of our day, we're going to hear some inevitable garbage. We can't keep from hearing that. But there are some things that we invite into our ears, into our minds, and we have to make a commitment. You know, I love you, but I'm not going to talk about that person anymore. I don't want to hear that. Let's talk about something else. Here's a third question. Are you submitting your life to the control of the Holy Spirit? Are you letting the Spirit take control of your tongue? Letting the Spirit take control of your emotions? Asking the Spirit to take control of your thoughts, your actions, your reactions? Number four, are you constantly reading the Word of God? I was a teacher for five and a half years in the public school system. I have heard every excuse why the homework is late. Every excuse. Some have been, been so creative, I've accepted them. <laughs> I've also heard every excuse why people don't read the Word of God. Time, they're busy. And I gotta tell you, straight out, you have no excuse for not reading the Word of God. There's absolutely no excuse for not reading the Word of God. You will do what is important to you. You will take time today to eat, I promise you. Because you will be so hungry, and you're committed to that process, and you enjoy eating. So you'll eat. 
You'll take time for that, no matter how busy you are. And if you're serious about renewing your mind to the Word of God, you will take time for that. No excuses. None. Are you renewing your mind with Scripture? And finally, are you obeying God's Word? You're putting it into practice. Are you a hearer and a doer or a hearer only? So Paul says, I urge you, in view of God's mercy, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, that you give yourself totally to God's disposal and you continue to do that. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of the world. You're not of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good and perfect, pleasing will. There's a man named William Borden who lived in the early 1900s. He came from a very wealthy family. Well-educated, he went to Yale University, then on to Princeton Seminary, but God called him to life in China. His friends thought he was absolutely foolish that he would make that kind of commitment and that kind of sacrifice to God to go to China when he could stay here in the United States, very wealthy family, enjoy the best of life. Why would you do that, they asked him. Well, because God called him. So he began to train, and on his way to China, he stopped in Egypt to learn more of the language, and he became sick. Cerebral meningitis. He died when he was 25. Never made it to China. And people would say, what a waste. On his deathbed in Egypt, he scribbled a farewell note to his friends. And here's what the note said. No reserve. No retreat. No regrets. May that be the motto of our life. No reserve. Sold out to God. No retreat. Not turning back. No regrets. Because this is what true worship is all about. And please stay with us. Ron returns in a few moments with a look at our next time together. When wanting to look your best in public, do you care about the appearance of your clothing? And the same question could be asked of your spiritual apparel, especially of those garments God has provided by His grace. They comprise an eight-piece ensemble made of heaven's finest virtues. You'll find that collection in Ron's PDF booklet titled Garments of Grace. In Garments of Grace, Ron describes each piece and how it's to be worn for God's glory. But here's a warning. When you don this wardrobe, you will be conspicuous. In a world dressed in filthy clothing, torn and tattered by sin, your attire will shine like the stars. Garments of Grace is yours as a digital download for a gift of any amount at ronmore.org. Again, that web address is ronmore.org. Your gift today will help keep the journey on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Now, let's join Ron for a preview of our next broadcast. Take your Bibles, and let's hear the Apostle Paul, and he has something to tell us today about contentment. In his letter to the Philippians that he writes from a Roman prison to a church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. 
Paul says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you've been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. And I have learned the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances. Know what it is to have need, verse 12, and know what it is to live in plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Before we get started in going through the passage and understanding what Paul is telling us, let's make sure we understand what contentment is. We hope you can join us for that message next time. And please remember to get your copy of Ron Moore's digital devotional, Garments of Grace. In its pages, you'll discover spiritual apparel for the well-dressed Christian. Garments of Grace is yours for a donation of any amount. You can get it online at ronmoore.org. That's ronmoore.org. Also, for our Pittsburgh area listeners, the Real Conversation continues at the Bible Chapel with Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. In Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church, we'll discover what God has to say about leadership, sex, life, victory, and connection. This is a series you won't want to miss. The Bible Chapel has campuses across the greater Pittsburgh area. Visit BibleChapel.org for a location near you. Again, that address is BibleChapel.org. And if the journey has brightened your day and deepened your walk with Christ, won't you tell your friends and family about our program? Finally, please keep in mind that the journey relies on your generous donations to remain on the air, developing followers of Jesus Christ. Your gift today will be deeply appreciated. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join Ron next time as we walk together on The Journey.